Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Hospital ownership of physician practices has gone through various boom and bust cycles. We're currently in a boom phase, with hospital acquisition of physician practices a significant trend. Now, the motivations for hospitals acquiring physician practices are many. Some are clearly financial. Others have to do with clinical integration. Does clinical practice differ between independent physicians and those who are part of a hospital system? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Brady Post, assistant professor in the Bouvet College of Health Sciences at Northeastern University. Dr. Post and co-authors published a paper in the May 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining differences in care among patients treated by cardiologists who are either practicing independently or as part of a hospital system. They found higher rates of high-intensity interventions when cardiologists were in hospital systems. We'll discuss these findings and their implications in today's episode. Dr. Post, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is a imp- really important topic given what's happening in healthcare these days. Let's start with just a couple of basics so our listeners can make sense of what your findings show. You're looking at the effects of hospital physician integration. Uh, what, what does that term mean as you use it in this study? Sure. Well, that is a great place to start. So it refers in general to uh, hospitals and physicians becoming more aligned or more tightly interconnected, at least from an economic point of view. Um, Two straightforward examples of that might be a hospital that buys out a physician practice and then employs the doctors who are working there. Uh, You might also think about a physician who completes their training and then takes a job working directly for a hospital-owned facility. Uh, That would would also qualify as as integration as, as we understand it here. And there are lots of nuance around this. Probably no one definition is going to satisfy everyone, but ultimately it's about bringing hospitals and physicians together, so to speak, under one roof. Okay, so that's a great uh, explanation. Um, I made a passing reference to it in the introduction, but uh, you've been studying this phenomenon. Uh, What are some of the recent trends in the prevalence of hospital physician integration? Well, if you were to look at a longitudinal graph measuring the prevalence of hospital physician integration over time, you would be looking at a line that moves up and to the right. So the exact magnitudes might vary a little bit depending on who you ask, differences in definitions, differences in data sources, that kind of thing. But I think most everyone would agree that in the last 10 to 15 years, there has been a major increase in the prevalence of hospital physician integration. Some estimates have placed that around, uh, at least in certain specialties, 40, 50 percent, maybe more, have become, um, of physicians have become uh, hospital integrated. And, uh, you know, in some specialties in particular have taken off oncology, cardiology. Um, but there are, that's, that's been true even in primary care and, and elsewhere. Uh, this is really a pretty big shift. Uh, you know, for a long time, doctors for the most part worked in their own practices. And of course, they had admitting privileges at hospitals, but they were fundamentally distinct. And uh, at least recently, this more hospital-centric new world is is really quite a change. So we could spend a lot of time talking about the financial side of this, and I'm sure we'll come back to that uh, later in our discussion. But you focus on the clinical side. So how could integration of physicians into a hospital system affect how they practice medicine? 
It's a great question. So I think there are lots of possible reasons out there, but uh, you know, maybe for simplicity, I'll try to distill them into kind of three simple categories. One, you might imagine that uh, a physician who's who's in an organizational setting um, run by a hospital, they might be exposed to, might be working with different care teams, might be more or less interaction with physician assistants, let's say, or, or discharge planners or, or what have you. Uh, so that's, that's one possibility. Uh, a second one would be uh, technology. The most go-to example here is going to be electronic medical records. It's easy to imagine that in a hospital setting, you might be, as a physician, you might see uh, you know, more use of electronic medical records than you might in, in a smaller independent practice. Uh, you might also have more ready access to certain kinds of clinical technology. You might, uh, uh, for example, uh, MRIs or other expensive, um, expensive equipment that hospitals are more likely to have. And then the third category, I would say, would be um, incentives. Economists will certainly try to persuade you that people respond to incentives, and there's plenty of evidence that physicians do this as well. And so hospitals might very well ask their employees, including employed physicians, to help them meet organizational goals. That could be quality improvement. It could be reductions in readmission, maybe seeing a certain number of patients. Lots of different possibilities here. Uh, And so taken together... Uh, a physician who's working in a hospital integrated practice has a lot of different types of um, in features in their environment that uh, that gives, in, in my view, ample reason to think that practice patterns might change. Okay, so um, I'm struck as I listen to you that I've heard this story uh, a thousand times that those on the integration bandwagon focus heavily on the potential positives for clinical practice, as you mentioned, access to technology, electronic records, um, and increasingly, you know, uh, decision support systems, uh, care pathways that they learn and perfect and improve uh, over time. Uh, These are all things that would be positive. And yet, on the other side, I hear people talking about how the financial incentives can distort practice in potentially negative ways. The arguments are made uh, almost uh, by rote on both sides. And now comes the question, well, what evidence can we bring to this as opposed to just talking sort of thematically about what's possible. So you looked at cardiologists, one of the groups you just mentioned as uh, part of the trend of integration. What questions were you trying to answer with respect to the care cardiologists provide? And then what did you find regarding, uh, let's start with the use of diagnostic techniques and uh, these higher intensity procedures? Well, one way to put the broader question that, uh, that was on our minds is, you suppose that you know you know that your doctor works for some organization. Does that organization affect the kinds of care that you receive? And we've seen prior work that hospital physician integration is associated with more use of um, MRIs, for example, uh, specifically inappropriate um, MRIs. I imagine that that sounds familiar because it was also published in Health Affairs. So this type of uh, this type of thing led us to wonder: Well, you know, what else might integration affect? And so um, our research took um, took kind of the same concept and said: You know, could integration potentially be associated with more aggressive treatment patterns? Uh, maybe a preference for hospital-based services. And so we looked at this specifically for patients who had gotten a new diagnosis of stable angina or or chest pain. 
And this is an interesting clinical setting because there's a little bit of discretion. One physician might choose to do this and another might choose to do that. And in that kind of setting, you might imagine that is where the organizational context could could potentially influence the type of um, practice behavior, at least in principle. And so we looked at three of the, the common services that often are associated with, with a diagnosis of, of stable angina, and those are a stress test, a cardiac catheterization, and a coronary angioplasty. With advanced apologies to the clinicians on my team, as I uh, you know don't know these details nearly as well as they do, those those uh, approaches, you know, a stress test is you know, traditionally a physician puts their patient on a treadmill and hooks them up to a monitor, and they 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 monitor heart activity, et cetera. That's a very you know low in you know low non non intense kind of a procedure. It's very common in uh, in offices to to have that. The technology demands are not that large. And that will allow a physician to gather certain diagnostic information. A cardiac catheterization, I would say, is is a is a more intense type of procedure, and that's where um, you know a small small tube gets inserted through a blood vessel into the heart, and um, and physicians can gather uh, can gather more diagnostic information uh, about what's going on. An angioplasty is something that would happen after um, after collecting a certain amount of information about this, determining that the you know, blood vessels need need some sort of intervention, and you you know uh, sort of blow up a balloon there and and uh, improve, and improve uh, blood flow. So you know, tying that back to to our study, we're thinking about this in the in the context of you know which ones hospital integrated physicians are more likely to prefer. You know, we found that there was no effect, or maybe even a small negative effect of hospital physician integration on stress tests. In other words, they were more or less not likely, no, no, neither more likely nor less likely to, to use a, a, a stress test. But if the cardiologist that was managing your care was hospital employed, you were statistically more likely to get a cardiac catheterization and to get a coronary angioplasty compared to equivalent patients that got their care managed by an independent physician. So can you give me a sense of the magnitude of the differences? Sure. So, among uh, the uh, with the outcome of cardiac catheterization, we found around a four percentage points um, increase or uh, or higher rate among hospital integrated physicians relative to independent. And uh, compared to our sample average, that was around a thirteen percent increase in or higher probability. And with respect to angioplasty, there was around a two percentage point increase. And relative to our sample average, that was uh, about an 18% higher uh, chance of, of getting angioplasty. So what you're finding is a statistically significant and clinically significant increase in the use of higher intervention services when the cardiologist is part of a hospital system. And you did say of patients of the same nature. So one argument we often hear is, oh, well, you know, patients in hospital settings are sicker. Um, and therefore, of course, you'd expect uh, higher levels of intervention. Is that that's something you looked at, right? That is something we looked at. And we really did not find that patients being treated by hospital integrated physicians were actually any sicker than, um, than their independent counterparts were. Of course, there's always the potential for you know, unobserved levels of complexity. That's you know that's that's always a always an issue, but you know it's it's easy to understand the concern. Uh, maybe it's that sicker patients prefer doctors who are affiliated with hospital systems. It could be that um, 
maybe those with certain types of more complex health problems want their physician to be um, a part of a bigger care team or, or have ready access to certain technology. That's, that's totally possible. And of course, that's a big problem in this kind of study. So if you find that there's more intense treatment styles among hospital-based physicians, well, maybe that's just because their patients were sicker. So we, we were sensitive to that, and, uh, and we really didn't find that, at least in terms of the, the things that we were able to see. We looked at several common comorbidities like COPD, diabetes, cancer. In most cases, there were no statistical differences between these groups, and if anything, the, the patients of independent cardiologists appeared to be a few months older and more likely to have hypertension. Um, and we also, we also did a, an instrumental variables analysis on this, and that gets a little bit technical, but the, you know, the, the, the essence of it is you know, we, we started with a, uh, we selected the subset of patients who had initially chosen an independent physician, and over the course of our study period, some of those physicians got bought out or integrated with hospital systems, and so to some degree, those patients got randomly assigned to integration. And the effects didn't go away. In fact, if anything, the effects got, got bigger, which suggests that, uh, that patient sickness is probably not, at least to the best of our ability, it does not appear to be the, the reason for uh, a more intense care style. Okay, well, uh, these are important uh, findings, and I want to talk to you about the implications of them, what conclusions we can draw, and maybe what we should do about it. We'll talk about those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Brady Post about the effects of hospital physician integration among uh, cardiologists on how they practice. Uh, before the break, we heard that uh, the rates of some fairly invasive procedures are notably higher. Um, and we've screened out the possibility that it's due to differences in the patient population. Uh, now, can you comment directly? I know you said you're not the clinician on the team, and I'm not a clinician uh, interviewing you for this podcast, so let's be careful with our language. But based on your work, can you talk about the appropriateness? In other words, higher, yes, but maybe higher is more appropriate. Maybe lower is less appropriate. That's yeah, that's exactly right. It may very well be that may very well be the case. It's a really important question. Strictly speaking, we didn't set out to make those kinds of you know pretty normative claims, um, but I would say that we we made a good faith effort to at least come up with some insight, uh, you know, even if if not perfect. And uh, I'll I'll mention a, a couple of um, couple of things that we that we did to address this. And uh, you know, to be honest, the the results are a little bit mixed. Uh, so I'll give an example of one in each direction. So we tried to get at this concept of possible overuse of catheterization. Um, one of the main reasons to, to do a catheterization is to see if an angioplasty is warranted. And I think it might be easiest to just take an extreme case. Suppose you've got a clinician that just recommends a catheterization to everybody who walks through the door. Everybody with the faintest trace of heart pain, you, you know, straight to the cath lab for you, you get a, a catheterization. We did not see that in our data, for which I, uh, I'm, I'm glad. Um, but very few of those patients would actually go on to get an angioplasty because um, if there are conditions when, uh, wouldn't warrant it. And what that means is you'd probably get a really, you probably measure really low rates 
of catheterizations that are followed by angioplasties. So if you've got a rate like that where lots of caths, very few angioplasties, that could be a signal at least of, of potential overuse. So we measured that and compared the uh, patients of integrated physicians compared to the patients of independent physicians. And in this case, the integrated physicians actually came out a little bit ahead. It looked like they were maybe using cath in this, um, uh, in this way, uh, suggesting potentially less overuse by this very crude measure. But on the other hand, we also know that stress testing usually precedes catheterization. You usually put a patient on a treadmill before you, you know, go with a, a put a tube into their heart. And if the patient does a stress test and the results come in and show a positive result, uh, in other words, that there are signs of, of, of heart disease or, or issues, then you might proceed to a catheterization. So one really good measure would be, you know, among patients who did not receive a positive stress test or who got a negative stress test, did they still go on and get a catheterization? Much to our chagrin, we cannot see the results of the, the contents of a stress test result directly, but we can see whether they got one at all. And so we said, okay, well, among the patients who did not have a stress test, how many went on to get a catheterization anyway? And in this case, the results were more, fun, more, were more favorable to independent physicians. So I would say that uh, this is at least, there's at least some evidence here that, uh, that there may be some, some overuse. Uh, at a bare minimum, it, war it warrants better understanding. Yeah, so I think this is a great uh, uh, example of where each piece of research adds to our understanding of the uh, situation, but no single piece can answer all questions, and that's as it should be. So you've provided us with a quantitative understanding of differences, and uh, you might want a, a different kind of examination that's looking at the clinical results uh, and trying to determine something about appropriateness. But still, the overall findings definitely raise an alarm, and I suppose the real alarm here, of course, is going back to the financials which is, is there something about moving into or participating in a hospital system that sends signals to the clinician that they should uh, err on the side of higher uh, levels of intervention uh, rather than lesser levels, uh, either subtly or not so subtly? And uh, that concern, I think, is a appropriate given the finding, even though it's not uh, dispositive, the findings are not definitive. So let's look at the broader environment. You mentioned early on that uh, if you looked at a, a measure of the degree of integration that exists, it would be upward sloping to the right. So we already have a lot of this, and then it's raising some questions about whether it's affecting clinical practice. How do we think about the policy response to a situation where there's significant existence of integration and some reasons to worry about it? Well, that is uh, that's a million dollar question, and I would say um, you know off the bat that there's uh, there's probably not one um, you know one comprehensive answer that uh, that that addresses all of this. But I would say in, in to kind of frame it, you know, the question in some ways becomes you know, as we move toward a system, and it appears that we are, where most of us are going to be getting our care from hospital based or hospital integrated physicians. What kind of care are we going to get? What should we expect? And so, you know, I wouldn't, I don't take, uh, you know, the findings of this, um, you know, this study in isolation, as you were just saying a moment ago, um, every, every study builds a little bit. 
And so I would view these findings as contributing to the prior work on integration. And some of those prior findings have shown higher use of inappropriate MRIs and um, preference for more expensive chemotherapy drugs, for example. And so I think that it's probably safe to say that generally hospital physician integration has been associated so far with more intense or, or more expensive approaches to care. Um, and so, you know, suppose that we accept that as kind of a, a stylized fact, and maybe not everyone will, um, but, but suppose that we do accept that for the, for the sake of argument. The right response to that depends a little bit on where you stand, perhaps, in general with, with a perspective on having providers that are more closely aligned, at least in this sort of economic sense. And if you're generally okay with, with more integrated systems, if you think that there are often lots of benefits to it, I think you would still say, at least given these findings, let's look at appropriateness and, and quality and maybe quantify the upsides a little bit, uh, at least do our due diligence on, on that. Maybe we're getting something for it, as, as you were alluding to, uh, alluding to earlier. Maybe there are some, some benefits. On the other, uh, on the other extreme, uh, for those who are very skeptical, you might say you might take uh, uh, maybe a non-proliferation approach, and you want to equip the Federal Trade Commission to more aggressively challenge vertical mergers and and that sort of a thing. Um, somewhere in the middle, perhaps you could say, "All right, well, we know we've got, um, we know we're moving toward more integrated systems." And it looks like there, there could be potential for overuse or potentially to uh, treatment that's, that's, that's maybe too intense or, or outside of um, what, what patients want. Certainly do the research to, um, to understand that better. And then also treat it like any other time where we encounter overuse in the healthcare system. Let's look for payment uh, and regulatory approaches to incentivize in these organizations more conservative treatment patterns, at least wherever that is clinically appropriate. Um, ultimately, the right response could be pretty nuanced. I don't see any of these approaches as mutually exclusive. Uh, and um, I think that identifying the situations where integration is helpful for patients and where it is maybe not so effective is one of the biggest challenges ahead. Well, you've identified a, an issue right at the intersection of sort of the economics and the clinical practice of medicine, and it's always hard. We need to bring multiple methods uh, and and perspectives to the discussion. As we come to a close, um, you've been working on this general topic for a little while. I wonder if you could say a little bit about what comes next in the questions you're trying to answer with respect to hospital physician integration. There's no shortage, which is uh, which is one of the <laughs> one of the fun true. parts, uh, and so you know, so I think that certainly um, thinking about some of the uh, specific clinical settings where uh, where you might expect to see um, expect to see some improvements, maybe uh, uh, clinical settings that are that are more care coordination dependent. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk that hospital physician integration could improve care coordination and discharge planning and things like that, and that's possible. And I think that maybe hasn't been um, explored. All that well, even with a even with this particular study here, uh, as I as I mentioned, you know, we we don't have direct clinical information to to comment on appropriateness. Um, and uh, combining combining the type of data that we have with electronic health records, things like that, um, could really could really enhance our understanding. And uh, you know, that's that's what follow up studies are for. Well, Dr. Post, thank you for doing this important work and putting it in context, uh, helping us understand this complicated topic and the multiple dimensions of effects associated with 
uh, hospital physician integration. Thank you for being my guest today on Health Policy. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy.